1: Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. Welcome to our program, African Dialogue. And uh, you're listening to us on the frequency nine six two five kilohertz on the thirty one meter band to Southern Africa. My name is Benjamin Mushatama, and uh, if you're listening to us on DSTV, a reminder that you can also listen to us on eight o two, but that's the channel eight o two audio bouquet channel on DSTV. We also stream live on www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, today we're going to stick with South Africa. A story that's sticking out, I know yesterday we were going to look at public racism, but this is a big story right now that's happening in South Africa. We look at the issue of a proposed 3,500 rands minimum wage that has been proposed in South Africa by the National Economic Development and Labor Council's uh, advisory panel. What does that mean? And also, we know that in poor countries, uh, such as uh, the African continent has, does a minimum wage work, that type of imposition in the labor market? Well, before we get into that, uh, let's get our news and Musa is standing by.
4: In the headlines, the Egyptian court overturns the death sentence for ousted President Mohamed Morsi. The Catholic Church in Rwanda apologizes for its role in the 1994 genocide and African nations failed to block the United Nations' first ever LGBTI expert. And a very good, a very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. An Egyptian appeals court has squashed one of two life sentences handed down against ousted Islamist president Mohamed Morsi. The sentences against several officials of his now outlawed Muslim Brotherhood, who stood trial alongside him on charges of spying for Iran and Palestinian group. Hamas were also overturned by the court. Next week, the court is to start reviewing a second life sentence handed down against him in a separate trial on charges of stealing documents relating to national security and handing them over to Qatar, a long-standing supporter of the Brotherhood. The Catholic Church in Rwanda has apologised for the Church's role in the 1994 genocide, saying it regretted the actions of those who participated in the massacres. The statement acknowledged that Church members planned, aided and executed the genocide, in which about a million people perished in the course of 100 days. The Council of Bishops asked for forgiveness for the actions of its leaders that participated in the mass killings. Is the spokesperson of the Council of Bishops as well as of the Butare Diocese.
5: Although the Church did not send anyone to do harm, we, as Catholic bishops in particular, we apologize again because of priests, clerks, and Christians who played a role in the genocide. They committed a grave sin against humanity. We ask God to change their hearts, help them repent, to reconcile and do right by those they betrayed. They should allow God's forgiveness and hope for the forgiveness of Rwandans. May their penance drive them to tell the truth.
4: A bid by African countries to delay the appointment of the first ever UN expert tasked with investigating LGBT rights abuses worldwide has been defeated. The Africa group sought to introduce a draft resolution in the third committee of the General Assembly responsible for human rights that would have deferred the work of the Human Rights Council-appointed investigator until the next session of the Assembly. Botswana's ambassador to the United Nations, Stimbini Dohwe, introduced the draft on behalf of the Africa group
5: in its decision to table this resolution the group has been guided by the principles of international law the purposes and principles enshrined in the Charter of the United Nations and the universally accepted principles of respect for the independence and sovereignty of member
4: states The fact that there's much more help available for HIV sufferers is a global health success story, but it shouldn't hide the fact that young women are being left behind in the fight against the disease. That's the message from UNAIDS as the agency releases new data showing how girls' transition to womanhood is a particularly dangerous time, particularly in southern African nations
2: data from the agency reveals that in sub-Saharan Africa, girls aged between 15 and 19 years old accounted for 9 in 10 of all new HIV infections. The evidence shows that in many cases, adult men were to blame, and UNAIDS says that this is because they are far less likely to get themselves checked for the disease or access treatment. In South Africa's KwaZulu-Natal, for instance, less than 3 in 10 men knew their HIV status in 2015, and only 1 in 20 was on treatment.
4: And finally, the Commission for Rights of Cultural, Religious and Linguistic Communities in South Africa has condemned the acts of a self-proclaimed prophet who sprays congregants with an insecticide. Litabo Rabalaho has been making headlines by spraying congregants with doom, claiming it will heal them. He says he also uses petrol and fire for healing. The Commission's David Musoma has accused him of abusing his congregants.
6: So we don't have that credible witnesses. Uh, it's a claim Pastor makes for himself, um, which we cannot vouch for. And from the CRO Commission, we are saying that uh, this is an abuse of the rights of the people. This is an abuse of people's faith, and therefore it cannot be supported. Where we sit as a commission, first, is to give a, a warning to all people not to use such a prophetic claim. Um, and it should not be... Um, uh, associating
7: themselves with these
4: kinds of claims. Recapping the top stories, the Egyptian government overturns the death sentence for ousted President Mohamed Morsi. The Catholic Church in Rwanda apologizes for its role in the 1994 genocide and African nations failed to block the United Nations' first ever LGBTI expert.
7: The NEPAD Business Foundation, in partnership with the NEPAD Planning and Coordinating Agency, are proud to host the 2016 African Leaders in Dialogue Dinner at the Naslo Hotel in Santin, South Africa on Thursday, the 17th of November 2016. This year's event is themed Africa's Industrialization and Gearing the Youth for Regional Development and will host over 250 delegates comprising of African and G20 Ambassadors, high-level government officials, and senior business executives. Catch Channel Africa between 6 p.m. and 8 p.m. Central African Time on Thursday, the 17th of November. We will be broadcasting live from the event. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
1: Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. You're with me, Benjamin Moshatama. Remember, we're with you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time where we zoom into the big subject matters on the continent of Africa. And today we're looking at a South African story and maybe it could be relevant for the rest of the continent. It looks at the issue of introducing uh, a minimum wage. Will this actually create a space where we see a reduction of poverty in the country due to minimum wage. Well that's our big debate and discussion today. There are concerns that the national minimum wage of three thousand five hundred a month, which has been proposed by NADLEC yesterday, is too low. It's about a thousand Rand less than what Labour initially demanded. Parties are now taking the proposal to their constituencies for consideration. The ruling party, the ANC, has welcomed the proposal but call for further engagement between state holders business chamber navcock says the minimum minimum wage alone is not enough to combat poverty and inequality well to discuss this we're joined on the line by terry bell who's a labor analyst in south africa we also have uh, a free market foundation economist and director jason newbach who's joining us on the line we also have Fedusa uh, general secretary uh, dennis george who is with us i want to start this conversation with you terry to look at what are we talking about in terms of definitions when we speak about a minimum wage?
2: Well, the idea of a minimum wage is something that's been floated in, in South Africa since 1955, and the Freedom Charter was actually mentioned at Town during the debates there. And most research shows, I mean, you get people who, like Market Foundation who have a view of laissez-faire, of, of a really, I think, a dinosaur approach to economics because most of the surveys show that it's one way of alleviating poverty is by social assistance. I have a problem, and I think most of the unions do too, in that the minimum wage is only one small aspect. Uh, one should talk in terms, perhaps, as the Finns are, as people in the Netherlands are, and uh, unions in Britain are, of a universal um, income right across the board. That's what we should be looking at, and it mm. should be part of a holistic approach to policy, This, looking at it in a very narrow view of a minimum wage alone, deals only with those people who are fortunate enough to be in work. And increasingly, not just in South Africa, Africa, and around the world, there are more and more people, even if they have skills, who are becoming redundant because of automation. And this is something that has to be taken cognizance of, and it's not been done in South Africa, the idea, it's actually 20 rand an hour, which works out at 3,440 rand a month, is grossly inadequate as a living wage. Um, it's certainly for something that the unions were demanding uh, as 4,500 two years ago. Since then, we've had inflation catching up much more costs of transport, food, etc. And these are their proposals to be phased in you know, two to three years. So who knows mm-hmm. what inflation will do then?
1: Hmm. Well, let me bring in uh, the Free Market Foundation economist and director, Jason Newbach, who's on the line with us. Uh, You heard the the sentiments uh, made there by Terry. They're saying some of your views as the Free Market Foundation are very much uh, archaic, uh, not using the same phrase that you utilized, uh, uh, Jason. But from your perspective, uh, are you for a minimum wage uh, as the Free Market Foundation?
6: Um, no, we're certainly not for uh, a minimum wage, and um, I think that uh, the proponents of the national minimum wage certainly have their hearts in the right place, and I think we can all agree that we all want to live in a society where there's full employment and where people are prospering, uh, not only because of the economic benefits, but also, in, in my opinion, more importantly for the psychological benefits of, of knowing that you're making a meaningful contribution to your community and, and society. But I just think that, uh, and Cher is now agree with um, uh, Terry Bell, is that I, I think the national minimum wage is a, is a misguided attempt to address the underlying structural problems that are pervasive um, throughout our economy. And my fear is that it may in fact have the opposite effect of what, to, what it is intended to do, and that's mainly to address South Africa's high rates of poverty and, and inequality. And the reason I say that is because one of the surest ways to prevent unskilled people with little or no work experience, from ever entering the job market, is to make it illegal for employers to hire them. So, in my opinion, the single biggest problem that faces the South African economy is the, the persistent and chronic unemployment problem, and this is actually getting worse because after the Great Recession, so around about 2009, there were 4.4 million unemployed people in South Africa. In 2014, that increased to 5.3 million, and the latest uh, uh, unemployment stats show that a further 400,000 people have lost their jobs. So, they are 5.6 million unemployed people in South Africa. But mm. the, the strict definition of unemployment that that, that to say relies upon is not a very good mm. indicator of what's actually happening on the ground because the vast majority of people have simply given up searching for work. And it's, um, there's a, a large body of what what, a, what is referred to as discouraged work seekers. And if we include those people in the, in the statistics, then we'll see that there's about 8.8 million mm. people in South Africa that are unemployed, and that's nearly as many people that are actually employed. Um, just to address Terry's uh, concerns about the FMF um, the University of Cape Town's professor uh, of economics Jeremy C. King states and I quote that every study in South Africa found that real wage increases reduce the demand for labour the question is not whether wage increases destroy jobs but how many jobs are destroyed and how to weigh up the job destruction with the benefits of higher wages mm-hmm. I have a petition in front of me that's been signed by several prominent uh Economics professors in South Africa that are opposed to the introduction of the minimum wage.
1: Mm. Well, let me the bring joining in that in petition. Sure. That's all done, is very mm. Well, I have to give others a chance there, Jason. Sure.
6: Okay. Sure, sure.
1: Um, let me bring in Fedusa, uh, General Secretary, and we'll come back to you, Jason. And uh, uh, he's the—that's de- uh, Dennis George. There's the Fedusa uh, General Secretary, uh, Dennis. What are your thoughts there? We're hearing two um, very much opposite views here when it comes to the national minimum wage. And uh, Terry Bell has some concerns with the three thousand five hundred rand that has been proposed as not being enough, looking at uh, inflation there, and saying that hey, there are in- there is enough reason research that shows that a minimum wage does actually minimize inequalities and reduce poverty but it can't be one-dimensional uh, what are your thoughts in terms of some of the views that also came from jason yuba who says that well actually there is a problem when it comes to imposing a minimum wage because sometimes it can deter uh, uh, investments and business uh, growth within a country
7: yeah um <clears throat> Thank you for the opportunity and good afternoon, Jason, and good afternoon, Terry. Now, um, I was at the meeting um, when the report was released by the panel of experts uh, on Sunday at NEDLAC meeting, Mm -hmm. and and we spent the entire day, you know, uh, with um, the panel of experts, and um, we've also looked at the amendments that is going to be done to the labor relations other legislation, and, and that session was dealt with Professor Chidil, That is also a member of the ILO Committee of Experts. Mm, mm. Now, I've, I've had a look at the employment impact because I think you know I think we must first deal with that particular issue. Now, there's basically three major reports that came out. The one was the report that was released by the University of Cape Town um department for policy research unit and they used the g the CG, um, um a method of calculating and their estimations vary that they say between 204000 and 897000 jobs would be lost because of the imposition of the minimum wages mm, mm. and then the study that was also done by national treasury um, that predicted that looking at 715,000 jobs that would be destroyed, but um, the panel of experts have weighed up both the, these two research papers, and they have actually um, agreed with the research paper that was done by the University of Witwatersrand. Um, and I want, if you don't mind, if I can just call to you directly. Sure, Dr. no problem,
1: Dennis. Go ahead.
7: It says the. The model concludes overall that the national minimum wage in South Africa would be a pro-poor measure that reduces poverty, especially amongst Africans, <coughs> coloreds, and rural communities. It also reduces inequalities and improves economic growth. Wage adjustments affected by at least 48% of full-time workers across sectors of the economy they help to increase the average sector wage rates from below instead of disproportionately increasing the remuneration of high skilled workers and then it goes on to say that they you know felt that both the two other studies were not um, that you can't take it as a model from a developed country and try to impose it in South Africa and then secondly you know they felt that, that, that this thing doesn't even match our current conditions so both that two studies because the mandate and the terms of reference that the social partners gave to the task team was to say that they must look at all these particular actions. And and, 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 and we are actually very um, impressed with the way that the expert of uh, panel of experts have gone away doing their particular work.
3: Mm, mm.
7: And um, from what we will see from them, and we're still going to have a follow-up meeting mm. with them in the next um, few days, before, you know, we're making our final decisions on this matter, As I'm very comfortable that the methodology that was used in this particular study, you know, was above board and it used the International Labour Organization standards of evidence-based, not ideological-based driven approaches um, to the imposition of the minimum wages. So I don't know and I don't actually care how many professors signed because those professors were trained in the neoliberal way of dealing with things and Mm. focusing only on the market. Mm. And I can promise you today, no market is going to solve the problems of our country. Mm. It's going to require the social partners to sit down together and to work out a package, Mm. not only one instrument, because we must look at um the proposal that business brought to the table mm. well
1: also is- i'm also interested in another element which is something that i've been speaking to my colleagues with and let me bring this back to you Terry Bell which is the fact that, uh, you know, there's different forms of low-paying jobs. We know that when you look at the restaurant uh, uh, sector, when you look at uh, uh, the retail sector, uh, you know, when also even even the informal labor sector where you have gardeners, etc., etc., where people are getting beyond that uh, uh, minimum wage. Will this margin not risk those people within those low-paying jobs losing their jobs, Terry?
2: No, I don't think so. I I mean, there's a great disadvantage here. I didn't hear a word of what Ben has said because uh, okay, we'll try sort that out. out.
1: Sure, we'll try sort that out. Sure.
2: So I haven't a clue what he said. Sure, I can't like that. In terms of no, of course not. It won't, and it never has. The point is that um, in these situations and. Uh, people employ enough workers to do the job. This is the situation. No employer employs someone just out because they feel they need to give someone a job. They employ just enough people to carry out the work that 's necessary whether it 's in a restaurant, a manufacturing outfit, a delivery service, or whatever mm. and whatever the, the pay, they need those people to do the work they don 't they 're not going to employ anyone else just because um, of the the rate of pay. Mm. And for example, this is a nonsense too about bringing in more people if you have lower wages. Mm. No, you're not going to employ any more people. This is part of the old argument and Mm. Jeremy Seekings has been quoted about the fact that we lose pay with higher higher wages. This is not true. What does happen, of course, is where automation can come in and in South Africa we had the gross exploitation of human labour where it was cheaper and just as disposable to use humans rather than machines. But once those people came together, organized, got themselves decent pay, yes, then the employer looks around and says, well, I can actually put a machine in there at capital expenditure, which in the long run will be cheaper than people, and that is what is happening. The current um, figures that I have on every job, every process that is automated, loses on average 60 jobs, many of them permanently. Now this we have to understand, this has to be taken cognizance of as well. This I don't think the Free Market Foundation takes cognizance of, I don't think mm. government is, and I don't think the labor movement has. This is what we've got to look at. In terms of, if you're running a restaurant, you need a chef, no matter what the chef is paid, you're you, in competition with other chefs as well, with other restaurants, mm. of course. If you have a minimum wage, everybody has, that is a living wage, everybody has at least a reasonable standard of living, and it's not going to change anything. It's not going to lose any jobs. In the domestic field, there's an argument that there may be jobs lost there. Well, why doesn't government then, if someone's employed in domestic work, also allow for tax rebates? This is the mm. idea of looking at things in a holistic way. Mm. It's not been done. I suspect that the minimum wage proposal as it now stands, and it was very the work that was done there was very good, But far too narrow, the mandate was far too narrow, it's a bit of an ad hoc, knee-jerk reaction
1: again. Mm. Well, let me bring that to you, Jason. Your thoughts there on what Terry's highlighting there?
2: Well, I actually agree with with Terry on
6: on a lot of the points that that he was saying. But uh, my my view is that society's problems of poverty, inequality and unemployment can't simply be solved by a government decree. I mean, what a wonderful situation where you can just say, okay, well, government's just going to wave this magic wand. It's just going to increase um, wages, and it's going to solve the, the twin evils of poverty and, and inequality. I mean, uh, to me, that, that's ignoring the underlying reasons why so suffer suffering in such low levels of economic growth and it does nothing to solve our high and rising rates of unemployment. So, let me put this in perspective for you. If you're growing at the current at the current rate, say for example of half a percent per annum, then South Africans' incomes will double only after about 140 years. But let's say you want to grow at five percent per annum, which is the target in, in the National Development Plan, then our incomes will double after about 14 years. Mm-hmm. So you need you need the fundamental um, uh, economic growth within the within the country, but more importantly. What, one of the things that, that I've been referring to is the, the structural impediments within, within the country. We need to reform our education system, for example, because we know that there are about 36 million people in so that's who of working ages. So that's our working age population between the ages but, of 15 and So, people. but is that is that so relevant? 60%... Mm. Sure. More than 50% mm. of those people have an education level of less than a track.
1: Jason, so also, my, my, my now, gripe with you when it comes to that kind of a thinking, I understand where you're going, where you're looking at the structural socioeconomic issues, but when it comes to the working force itself shouldn't we actually cushion the labor uh, imperatives that we are seeing right now? Also because we have a history that has disadvantaged a lot of uh, poor people who were within these particular low-income uh, uh, you know, bracket uh, w- uh, employment uh, spaces.
7: Can I comment there, please?
1: Well, let me just bring Jason to that. What, what are your thoughts on that? Because you're making it a more structural issue when sometimes it is more yeah. about what's yeah. happening within the business sectors.
6: Yes. So, I mean, I, I, I agree. We want we to live in a society where people are earning more income. But just by government... So, you've got to bear in mind that the, the, the dramatic unemployment problem that we have in South Africa. So, we're not the same as other countries that are operating at full employment or near full employment... They have a very educated workforce. They're um, growing at at, at significant rates. If you introduce a low, uh, really low minimum wage in, in those circumstances, then it will have it won't have a, a dramatic impact. But in South Africa, it will. And I'm just saying that it, there are economic consequences for just simply forcing up wages. And um, I think employers are, are rational people. They'll respond. Like they mm. do to anyone else. So if but, you increase the cost of employing people, mm. it's simple. They'll employ fewer people, and some employers may choose to go profits, but they'll stall investments in their businesses, which will halt any expansion. So mm. they won't necessarily take on any additional workers, and it will also eventually cause existing workers' wages to stagnate if they're not investing.
1: L- uh, sure. Sure. and, lem-
6: and they Can,
7: can I go add one more point?
1: Sure. Go take? ahead. I just want to bring Dennis um, in. Sure. 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 Um, Dennis, your thoughts?
7: Yes. Look. You know, first of all, I mean, nobody said Don't in the care. beginning that the minimum wage is going to solve all our problems. I mean, that is not what the debate is about. The debate is about what is the significance of the minimum wages in relation to, 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 to working people in the country. I mean, 46% of our people that's working, I'm not talking about unemployed people now, they earn less than 2,500 rams per month. Now, I mean, that is really, really, guys... Mm. Come on.
3: Mm.
7: I mean, these are human beings, man. These are people that need to feed other families. These people must also contribute towards the economy. So this idea that a low-wage strategy, you know, will drive prosperity for everybody doesn't work. Mm. And that's Mm. the reason why the way that the proposals from this panel, and we are still discussing it inside FEDUSA, you know, we can see that the methodology and the approach and... Even when business were uh, uh, talking to us, business also came to netlack and said, "Look, even though the number that they put on the table was too low, and that's why the this, this panel have actually helped us now to come up with a number yeah. of three thousand five hundred rand, and now everybody's busy discussing it, and next week, you know the parties are going to come together again and say, Look, this is what is our input because we need." national minimum
3: wage in South Africa. Mm.
1: Well, I have to go to a quick break and then I'll come to Terry Bell to get his views as well. on When you weigh this 3,500 uh, to uh, household expenses that we're seeing in uh, the country in South Africa, uh, using this particular example, is it this 3,500 enough? And what can we do more to actually change that particular dynamic? Because the truth is it's it's not enough. What are your thoughts? Do you think the imposition of a minimum wage can stimulate an industries in the in, in your countries? Do you think that a minimum wage could actually deter investment? What are your thoughts? Plus 27796957930 is our SMS number. Or you can email us at info at org. On the line, I have Terry Bell, a labor analyst. I've got Jason Newbach who is the Free Market Foundation economist and director. I also have the Fedusa General Secretary Dennis George who's joining me on the line. It's 1130 Central African time. My first break because it's been so heated today this particular conversation but we'll take a break and then we'll be back after this. <coughs>
4: November is Disability Month in South Africa, but should be a continental event. So, let's all make a difference. Channel Africa is calling on all to join us to help needy children everywhere. as If parents would love their children,
1: care for them, tender for them, no matter rich or poor, I believe. This world would be a better place. we're right here at the dumelo home uh, it's a d- disability home for disabled children right here at ivory park Midrand, not far away from our hometown tembisa where i was born so it's fantastic to be broadcasting near home for the first time and uh, we're looking at the importance of this day channel africa will be partnering with the sabc and alongside other partners to hand out some uh, goods to this particular home and looking at the commemoration and looking at the importance of Disability Month.
4: Join Channel Africa as we commemorate the National Disability Rights Awareness Month from the 3rd of November until the 3rd of December 2016, the International Day of Persons with Disabilities. This year's theme is... Persons with disabilities equal participants in shaping a sustainable future. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
1: Well, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Remember, if you're listening to us on shortwave, we're on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to southern Africa. On DSTV, we're on channel 802. Remember, you can also join us on our Twitter handle at African Dialogue or at Channel Africa if you want to be part of our family here at Channel Africa. Well, I want to come to you, Terry Bell, looking at the issue of weighing this uh, proposed minimum wage of 3,500 rands. Uh, to the household uh, spending that we're seeing uh, currently, uh, definitely it doesn't weigh. But how do you actually um, make this a good kind of start moving forward? Uh, because already we know that the South African population of around 56 million people, uh, most of them who are 30 million, live be- below the poverty line of uh, 1,000 uh, rands per month in 2016 when the number is uh, so, you know, how do we actually create a space whereby you can cushion uh, this particular economic base for people who are in this particular low margin, despite the fact that there is such a, a high household expense? Well, uh, once
2: again, Benjamin, I, I didn't hear a word of what uh, Dennis said so. Advisor, like, so I'm you know, sorry, like, I don't know
1: how, this, what's happening with the line there. I'm, I'm not no, quite sure, matter. technically I'll, sure.
2: I'll just respond to, to those questions. Sure. The point is, you know, nearly half of the population of the men and women who are fortunate enough to have work already earn less than $3,500, often substantially less. So if that was introduced mm. immediately or in the next couple of months, sure. it would actually be a tremendous boost to closing slightly, very slightly the gap. It'd be a tremendous boost for those people. However, this was a, a sum that I mentioned before that was requested oh two years ago at least. Mm. And since then of course all sorts of things have eaten into it. We now have the average person because of the apartheid geography, the spatial situation of apartheid still applies where you have townships where the poor people live which are way away usually from the areas where they need to come to work. And the average expenditure now on transport of the average poor worker, poor-paid worker, is between 1,000 and 1,600 rand a month. So when you get someone who's even being paid, say, four and a half thousand, which is what the unions were originally asking, um, the transport costs alone cut that right down. So you know, it's it's grossly inadequate. It is far too narrowly based, mm. Mm. and there's been not enough. Um, thought given by government and anyone else to the broader aspect to the fact that even if you get more money, for example, more disposable income, you'll get some people out there say, oh, that'll go on tobacco and booze. No, it mm. won't. Mm. All the surveys show that it will go on food and people will spend more of their disposable income on food and other essentials like clothing, but we then have to ask another question. Mm. Will that per- those purchases be of cheaper imported goods. Hmm. I mean, the thing that particularly has always annoyed me is to go into a supermarket in South Africa and find that there are chocolate biscuits, now that's made out of wheat, and it's made out of cocoa and sugar and Hmm. milk, etc., that are imported and sold here cheaper than South Africa, and yet they come from Dubai, which, as far as I know, Dubai is known for oil and sand. (laughs) Everything else has to be imported. Mm, mm. So this is something else. Government needs to look at as well. They've not done so. We continually have these knee-jerk reactions because yes, people here are becoming extremely angry. People here are suffering. We have the, probably the highest un- real unemployment rate in the world. Mm. So I think something has to be done, but not just in a narrow, isolated instance like this. Yes, the. the thinking behind it and actually there I will agree with Jason. Mm. I think because of the best of intentions that this was set up but it's inadequate, it's far too narrow. Mm. We actually need to think along much broader lines of how we cope with the overall economy to talk of economic growth as a nonsense in this world because the point is that we're still suffering a global economic crisis. Mm. Um, there are very few, very few countries I can think of that have anywhere near full employment. And in fact, even where you did have it in places like Sweden, there's now a decline because of automation. Mm. because of the, the march of the robots so mm. to
3: speak.
2: Mm. So this is something everyone needs to look at including well, the Free Market Foundation.
1: So sure. let me take this to you Jason Newbach because Terry is on your case and, and I think that's an important case that he brings forth that we don't have a minimum wage currently but still we have this high unemployment. So that doesn't actually support your case of saying if you don't have a minimum wage then you actually stimulate and create jobs. Already we're seeing a high unemployment rate and low payments of um some kind of jobs so clearly your 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 argument is being tested with the current environment that we're seeing in south africa
6: no no that's that's not true benjamin we do have sexually determined minimum wages so i mean the, that that is already there um and what we are seeing in areas like non-metro areas for example in the clothing and textile there's significant non-compliance and, and that that is true and we've seen significant non-compliance in the in the, in the domestic sector, for mm. for example. But my question to Terry is, 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 I mean, I agree with a lot of what what Terry is actually saying in terms of the stats. But I just think that the so I agree why we want to have better outcomes for individuals and things like that. And I, um, it's just that our, our our proposals or our medicine, for example, is completely different. So I mean, I, I agree with National Treasury when they said that. Uh, a wage-led growth path and this is what Terry was saying earlier is not possible in South Africa because we've seen for example two published macroeconomic analyses of the South African economy that concluded that that kind of wage-led growth path that was um, in in the VITS uh, paper um, was not feasible in South Africa because exactly of what Terry was saying, that a a lot of the the money will simply go onto imports. So Mm -hmm. what we need, instead of a wage and consumption-driven of growth path is a profit and investment driven one and you don't do that by blocking off imports which is i think the the way that 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 um, terry was heading towards so, so to make you kind of like this mercantilist economy mm-hmm. the, you we know that free trade is the engine of economic growth and those are the things that's going to lift one of the kind of structural impediments mm-hmm. to lift us out of um uh, out of uh out of poverty so i just think that that's I mean, for for a lot of people, if the 4,500, let let me put this in in kind of layman's terms, if 4,500 isn't enough, why are those people being so eager? Why don't they just increase the wage to, say, 12,000 rand per month or 20,000 rand per month? Because obviously, Benjamin, there are going to be economic consequences of simply just forcing up people's wages. That, mm. that is not... The government can't just wave one and then hope that those that um, people are going to comply and that uh, employers won't mm. respond. Let me we need to address this, the underlying problem. Mm. Of why is it that we have this, this massive inequality? Why is it that we have nearly 9 million unemployed people in South Africa? Mm. Um, and those are the questions that we should be uh, trying to address. And well. the, the Free Market Foundation's view is simple. And, I mean, we've got... To, uh, eons of economic history to demonstrate that our ancestors, yours and mine, got significantly better off, quality of life through economic growth. Well, le- only going to address uh-huh. the issues of. So, if you look at at, at uh, countries that have been successful, um, what look at their their income inequality and and levels, at uh, 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 growth levels and standards of living and things like that. The only reason that they've got to that point is that. Uh, uh, rapid and uh, rapid economic growth on an immense and unique scale. Okay, I and need there's, to. I there's ne- no kind of disputing that. There's, sure. there's no disputing the fact that, that uh, economies uh, uh, are successful via economic
1: growth. Well, but, I need. I need to bring in Dennis by, uh, so I, I know you've made your point and I think you, you're laboring on the one point there, uh, Jason. Let me bring in Dennis George. Y- your thoughts where we are now with the discussion. Uh, how do we actually create a space whereby, you know, we have a space where uh, the labor is uh, also satisfied, uh, business is satisfied, and also uh, government does also seen not as, uh, as uh, kind of this imposition or making this decree as highlighted by Jason. Uh, your final sentiments there, Dennis?
7: Yes, look, the recommendations of the panel of experts, you know, business, labor and government are paying serious attention to this. I think the the document is well researched. The document is available for everybody to take. I don't think this is just a flash in the bulb kind of thing. It's going to be a process. For instance, we're going to have to make the announcements in December months about the amount. I think the president is going to mention in the State of the Nation address. And then we're looking at implementation July 2017. That is the time frame. And the modalities and the way that um, I've studied the report um, and when we're going to discuss this thing inside do. So I think this thing looks workable because we spent 18 months on just discussing this thing and we can't discuss this thing forever.
1: Mm. Your final sentiments there, Terry Bell, on how to take this thing forward. I know that you've been rehashing the idea of having more of a comprehensive approach.
2: It's also the point is economic growth does not mean we've had economic growth in this country and we've had more and more people getting unemployed and more and more people actually be feeling poorer. So the point is, you know, we have a situation, a global situation, where we have an oversupply of everything and an overcapacity to supply everything, and that's because of our technological advance. Mm-hmm. We mustn't look at things only in terms of South Africa, but we have to look, obviously, at our own backyard first, but within a global environment where economic growth is slowing everywhere. There will be ups and downs, a few blips here and there, but this whole idea of we must encourage investment by having low wages etc is merely part of the international global race to the bottom which actually means that once again ordinary working people pay and the rich get richer and this is what has happened right around the world the gap between the wealthy and the poorest of the poor has grown enormously in the last decade and more
1: mm. let me bring you t- to you Jason your final sentiments as we wrap up the show
6: um, Benjamin, I think an additional layer of regulation will only serve to worsen the country's unemployment problem. Um, I think the vast majority of unemployed are young black people, and the le- legislated uh, national minimum wage will have a disproportionately negative effect on the employment prospects of these people. And moreover, I think that the inequality and poverty um, problem in South Africa persists not because um, uh, uh, some people have employment and um, because some people earn too much, but it's because we have nine million unemployed people in South Africa and you don't need to be an expert in economics to detect that there's something seriously wrong with the typical explanations provided of how a a national minimum wage will miraculously solve South Africa's poverty, inequality and unemployment problems. Um, Mm. I think wage hikes that follow productivity increases should be welcomed by everyone and that's, that's a fundamental truth and but those that are increased by our political dictact should be rejected mm. because of the dire economic consequences that are created for the unemployed people. I think it's morally reprehensible that you, you can expect government to just push up wages, which we know are going to prevent young, unskilled black people from entering into the, the labor market. And given the fact that over two-thirds of the unemployed have been unemployed for uh, longer than a year, you're mm. basically saying to those people that you will not ever able to work in, in, this, uh, in this economy and deproduct productive.
1: Well, I have to wrap it up there. That uh, is our discussion today. It was very much on different sides uh, from all of our guests. Everyone sold in their own way. But thank you to our guests for this debate. Thank you to Terry Bell, Labour Analyst. And thank you to Free Market Foundation Economist and Director Jason <coughs> Neubach. Thank you as well to Fedusa, General Secretary Dennis George, for all giving us your time in this hour. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, that takes us to 11.45 Central African time. Not an easy question this time around. Uh, it wasn't a dialogue. It was more of a debate this time around. Um, what are your thoughts? Remember, you can uh, text us on uh, plus plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. That's our SMS number. Do you think that a minimum wage is good for the reduction of uh, poverty in a country? Or do you think that it actually repels investment in a country? You can also uh, send us your emails at info at channelafrica.org or you can also find us on our twitter handle at african dialogue or at channel africa one it's 11 central african time let's get our business news from usani
5: Thanks, Benjamin. And good morning. MTN Group's ex- executive chairperson Putu Manleko has commended the company's Nigerian operation following news that it has been named the most valued brand in the country. The results of the recently released 2016 Top 50 Brands survey place MTN Nigeria ahead of many renowned local and international brands, including Coca-Cola and Guarantee Trust Bank. The survey gauges brands based on brand strength measurement index which uses basic qualitative factors to test the strength and or weakness of a brand including consumer familiarity with the brand Malawi is to receive an 8 million US dollar insurance payout for drought the African risk capacity insurance is processing the insurance payout to the government of Malawi to support its response to the drought which resulted from the poor 2015-2016 agricultural season. Malawi's Minister of Finance, Economic Planning and Development has welcomed the payout. George Mango reports in Blantyre.
0: The payout from the Afghan Risk Capacity Insurance Company Limited will be released to Malawi as soon as the government's plan on how the payout will be used to respond to those affected by drought is approved by the institution. This is standard practice for African Risk Capacity insurance company payouts and it is expected to take place by the end of November this year.
5: Lufthansa's budget carrier, AeroWings has cancelled more than 60 flights due to a strike by cabin crew. The walkout, which is the result of a pay dispute with labor union Verdi, started at Düsseldorf and Hamburg imports Long-haul flights as well as connections with German Wings, Sun Express and other partner alliance airlines of Eurowings are not affected. The strike is a, a prelude to a more damaging walkout by a pilot due on Wednesday that will affect Lufthansa flights across Germany. Mauritian Bank SMB Holdings will acquire full ownership of Kenya's Fidelity Bank, which is a small lender in a deal valued at 0.98 US dollars. Kenya Central Bank says the deal is expected to be completed by the end of the year. Fidelity, which started operating as a commercial bank 20 years ago, has 14 branches in Kenya and is ranked 31st out of 41 Kenyan lenders by market share with a 0.39%. SMB Group, which operates one of the Indian Ocean Islands nation's uh, leading commercial banks, SM, SBM Bank, had assets of $4.2 billion as of September. It also operates in India and Madagascar. South African Power Utility, ASCOM, will request proposals this year from companies looking to build nuclear power plants despite government announcing delays to its long-term nuclear expansion. Additional nuclear power output will start coming online in 2037 compared with the previous goal of 2030. Financial indicators say the US dollar is trading at 1432 to the South African rand, 1075 Botswana Pula, nine seven nine 979 zambin guacha. Also trading at 0.80 to the British pound and 0.94 against the euro. Commodities gold $1,218, platinum $944 per fine ounce. The spot price of Brent crude oil is now at $49.35 per barrel. That's how it's looking.
0: I'm Figenelu Wadi with a sports update this hour. We're starting off with athletics news. The state has terminated the, a doping case against Italian athletes. Athletics agent Federico Rosa, even before the trial started. This happened in Kenya, where a prosecutor, Mary Wangele, says the director of public prosecution had given a direction that the case be withdrawn under Section 87A of the Criminal Procedure Act. The Gabriela Rosa Association director was accused of conspiring with other persons to injure the reputation of the 2001 IAAF World Youth Championships finalist Elijah kiprono Boyd, and three-time Boston Marathon winner Richard Jeb II by administering prohibited substances. And in news, embattled Springbok coach Alistair Kutieh says he might be making some changes to his team ahead of the final end-of-the-year tour test against Wales in Cardiff on Saturday. Kutieh has come under attack for some of his team selections, which have further compounded an early bad situation after the team lost to England and then Italy this past weekend. Kutieh says he has tried to make as little changes as possible to the side because he was looking at building some continuity in the side.
8: I've got a, a look at what is coming again, you know, from the Welsh and like this week I thought we had it spot on, uh, just building that continuity because that was what we battled with starting against England with a, a, a nine changes to the side from the one who played against Bavarian, so it's it's almost like starting with a new team again and with a continuity but in certain positions yes, I have to have a look and see um, how certain players respond
0: Good says losing to japan at last year's rugby world cup and suffering a maiden loss to italy on saturday was not good enough for the Springboks, and that there are plenty of issues back home in south africa that are plaguing the game and will need to be sorted out
8: 100 no it's not good enough it's never good enough it wasn't good enough losing to japan and it wasn't and it's not good enough losing to italy or it, no disrespect to italy with no disrespect to them Don't get me wrong. They have deserved their victory. And hats off to a spirited Italian side who tackled and tackled and tackled for each other and forced us into mistakes. So we have lots of issues to sort out. Back off.
0: And in cricket news, Protea's stand-in captain, Favre Duplessis, has been found guilty of ball tampering by the International Cricket Council, the ICC, during the second test in Hobart but has been cleared to take part in the third and final match in Adelaide on Thursday. Video footage of Duplessis applying an artificial substance to the ball surfaced last week following South Africa's historic victory over the Aussies in the second test in Hobart, and the substance was deemed to have changed the condition of the ball. The ICC officially charged Duplessis of breaching Level 2 of the governing body's code of conduct on Friday and the hearing only took place on Tuesday after Cricket South Africa exercised its right to send a representative for the skipper. A 32-year-old has also been fined 100% of his match fee for his transgressions. Duplessis pleaded not guilty to the charge. And in golf news, European Ryder Cup captain Darren Clark is headed to South Africa Sun City to take part in the upcoming Gary Player Invitational presented by Coca-Cola from the 24th to the 27th of November. Clark will join a quality field of Olympians, celebrated sports stars and international business leaders for the tournament. The South African tournament to be played at the Sun City's Lost City Golf Club is the last of the six tournament series worldwide. This will be Clark's first tournament appearance in South Africa since the Ryder Cup at Hazeltine in September as he lends his support to Grand Slam champion players' goal of raising US dollars for the charity through the Global Gary Player Invitational Series. Clark joins an illustrious list of European Ryder Cup captains who have played in the South African league of the Global Gary Player Invitational Series. And finally, with football news, Bafana Bafana midfielder Shompo Kekana has made it onto the list of top 10 nominees for the FIFA's Puskas Award for his goal against Cameroon. Kekana has been nominated alongside the likes of Barcelona duo Neymar and Lionel Messi for the best goal scored between the 30th of September 2015 and the 30th of September 2016. The Mamelodi Sundowns midfield strongman netted a screamer Against Cameroon in a CAF Africa Cup of Nations qualifier in Yaoundé, as he broke his international goal scoring duck. The then 30 year old joined the likes of David Beckham and Xavi Alonso in an elite club by having the audacity and technique to shoot and score from inside his own half. With trademark tenacity, Kekana won the ball from Cameroon's Tony Charney, looked up and hit a powerful gliding effort over stranded keeper Ndaye Assembe. The winner, will be announced in January 2017 at the FIFA Gala. That's the Sport News this hour.